Welcome to the Beacon Broadcast from Beacon Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina, featuring expositional Bible teaching by Pastor Greg Barkman. If you'd like to correspond with the Beacon Broadcast, or if you wish to support this radio ministry, write to The Beacon Broadcast, Post Office Box 159, Alamance, North Carolina, 27201, or find us on the web at beaconbaptist.com beaconbaptist.com The Beacon Broadcast is supported in part by the gifts of faithful listeners. Now with today's message from God's Word, here is Greg Barkman. Back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the passage that we are working on presently. And we have discovered two things of the four that we're looking at in verses 1 through 8. And the first one is that Paul gives us something to know in verse 1, and what he tells us about is that eternal body that we're going to have after Christ returns and resurrects our bodies from the grave, resurrects the mortal bodies and turns them into immortal bodies, resurrects our non-glorious body and turns it into a glorious body, a glorified body, and so forth. That wonderful body that we are going to inhabit for all eternity, and we need to know about that. That's, that's very important information. And so he says, for we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. That's something to know, and that's something to look forward to. Secondly, he tells us about something to feel in verses 2 through 4. He says in the beginning of verse 2, For in this we groan, yeah, for sure we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. But in this we groan, and so something we feel is the weight of corruption, the bondage of the curse, the corruption of our dying bodies and our sinful flesh that is under the curse and is Therefore, experiencing the condemnation of sin, the soul that sinneth it shall die. And that, that, that death of the soul, of course, is separation from God, but it involves our whole being, including our body. And so we have the corruption of the flesh. And therefore, as Christians, we long for heavenly deliverance to, to rise above this weight of corruption. We, we long for, to be clothed upon with our heavenly habitation. And so the weight of corruption and the vulnerability of depravity and the uncertainties of death do weigh down upon us, and they cause a certain uneasiness, and for some people, a rather large measure of fear. And really, as Christians, we shouldn't have a large measure of fear, but I I would not say we should have no concern, no trepidation, nothing but joy and delight as we consider the reality of the act of dying. when We are going to struggle, 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 struggle down to the end of life and finally take our last breath. And as we know, that is very difficult for some people according to, to God's appointment and not quite as difficult for others. Some, for example, have, have their life snatched from them instantly in a, in a car accident, for example, where they are they are killed um, without 
struggling at all. It's just a, a moment and they're gone. But the act of dying is not a very pretty thing, and we feel the pain. We feel the undesirability of having to go through that. Don't we wish we could avoid that? But we can't. But the promise of what's beyond that is so much better than what we have now that it really gives us joy to think about dying so that we can experience the realities that lie beyond the grave. Well, we stop to welcome you to this Tuesday, November 29. And thank you for joining us today and to thank you for helping us with the cost of teaching God's Word on this station. Well, after giving us something to know and something to feel, he tells us in verse 5, something to assure. Now, he says, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. God has prepared us, that is, we who are his born-again believers, his children. God has prepared us for eternal life. And God's purposes are always accomplished. Therefore, we cannot fail to obtain further uh, eternal life in all of its fullness. Everything that has been promised to us that relates to that. So that's something to assure us. Yes, there is... Something to concern us as we feel the weight of corruption and depravity and the reality of death. But there's something that is so glorious beyond that that God has promised us that it really takes an awful lot of that trepidation away. We are assured of these realities, that God has prepared us for eternal life, and we are assured of the seal of God's Spirit. Looking further at verse 5, Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God. The one who has prepared us for eternity and for all these promises is God. This is not what the preacher has said to us, though of course he has, because he's showing us from the Bible what God has promised. This is not even what the Apostle Paul has promised us, though, and again, it is, it is true that he has. He is the instrument, in this case, that the Holy Spirit has used to record these things and to assure us of them. But, but look back beyond that. It's not the preacher telling us this. He is simply telling us what Paul has written in the Scriptures, but it's not Paul telling us this, because Paul is telling us what the Holy Spirit of God has has directed him to record in Scripture. And so, ultimately, the one who has told us all this is God. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also, in addition to the promises that he has given— who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. God has given us promises, and that should be enough, the infallible word of the living God, whose promises are always fulfilled, whose word is always true, whose purposes are always accomplished. But God has given us the Spirit as a guarantee of these promises. 
a guarantee. A down payment, it's sometimes characterized as in the Bible. All of us, I'm sure, at, at times in life have had something that we have purchased and we made a deposit in order to secure what, what it was we were purchasing so that it would be it would be um, preserved for us and not sold to somebody else. So we made the deposit that secures it for us. And that deposit then is the guarantee that as we conclude, as we take uh, as, lo- as, as long as, as we address the remainder of the requirements, the, the deposit was only a small part, then the entire thing will be ours. But there's a guarantee. You make a offer on a house. Many of you have done that at some time or another. And that's well and good, but it's not it's not it's not secure until a deposit is made and is accepted. And once it's accepted, then the seller is under obligation to give you the time and the resources, whatever is is written in the contract. Well, he doesn't give you the resources, but he gives you the time to fulfill the remainder of the contract. In other words, to to get your financing or to get your money out of the bank, whatever it is you're going to do, out of out of uh, out of investments, out of out of certificates of deposit, wherever it is you're going to get this money to complete the transaction, the deposit guarantees that you will be given the stipulated amount of time to get that done so that you can conclude this matter and actually receive the the house that you have agreed to purchase, and it will be deeded over to you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But that deposit assures that that will take place. Or you may have done that on a car. That That's another, another common thing that we often do. You agree to buy a car. You need to arrange the financing or get the money in, in out, out of savings or whatever in some other way. And so they say, we'll need a deposit. And I, I know in my case, I've usually said, how much do you, do you, do you want? They said, oh, how about, how about $500? How about $1,000? Something like that. And I say, okay, here it is. And uh, even in one case, it was a long-distance transaction of a car that I was buying in another state. And so I said, will you accept a, a credit card payment for my deposit? And they said, sure. So I gave them my credit card information, and they... They took the deposit right out of my out of my credit card, and then I went to work and got the money out of my savings account where I had had the uh, money available. And I went to the other state and sat down and completed the transaction. But once that deposit was made and accepted, that car was reserved for me. The dealer could not ethically or legally sell that to anybody else unless I in some way failed to fulfill the agreement. I, with, with the deposit, there's usually some kind of a time frame. You have X number of days now to complete this. And if I let that time go by and I don't do it, then I forfeit my deposit. He keeps it and he can sell it to somebody else. Well, 
God has not only made promises, but he has given us a guarantee of these promises, namely the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. Now, he who has prepared for us this very thing, this eternal life and all that it promises, who has also, in addition to the promises, also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So the seal of God's Spirit assures us that these promises will be fulfilled. But the question is, what is the evidence of the Spirit's presence? And that, of course, is a question that is answered in different ways by different different people who study and teach the Bible. But what is the evidence of the Spirit's presence, the assurance of these, the fulfillment of these promises, the guarantee? Is it tongues? Is it sign gifts? And I'll have to come back on the broadcast tomorrow to give you a, a little bit of elaboration on my answer to these questions. But what is the evidence of the Spirit's presence in the life of a believer? That's a pretty important question in the light of this verse. Now, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So, the Spirit is a guarantee. That's a deposit. That's like the the, the $1,000 you put down on that car. The Holy Spirit is that guarantee. But what is the exact operation or evidence of the Holy Spirit that becomes the guarantee? What is it you're looking to? It's one thing for the Bible to say you have the Holy Spirit, but if there's nothing tangible, then that really isn't any different than saying God has made promises. God has promised to give you eternal life. God has promised to give you the Spirit. Because God promises it, you can just uh, assume that you have the Holy Spirit. That's that's all you need. It's just the promise of God. Well, then it's not the, the Holy Spirit's guarantee isn't any different from the promise of God's Word. But I think it is, and we'll talk about it tomorrow. Until then, good day. May God give you his eternal peace.